Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on thebigscreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Doc Flitz. Well, it feels like we could open with great theme music if we had the ability to do so, but we do Sorry, not Sorry, no have, budget. Yeah, no budget, no licensing, no nothing like that. But when you're talking about Superman, there's certainly theme music that comes to mind and that immediately starts running through your head, both past and even some more recent that theme is, music. That is one of those where if the John Williams theme for Superman is the best it's ever going to get. Just get the rights to it. Be done with it. You know, no, we're gonna do, no, not we're gonna try. Just get John Williams' score and go from there. Otherwise, walk away. I know. You can almost you can almost hear Superman. Actually, I think of Jerry Seinfeld running down the street. He when is, he is a, in the, the race. In yeah. every episode of Seinfeld, there is some reference, visually or otherwise, to Superman. <laughs> He's got a magnet on the refrigerator. He was a big fan. So yeah. Superman, in so many ways, has just reached into the lexicon in so many ways you wouldn't even know it. He's dating a woman named Lois in that episode. Why not? Yeah. We'll get to more on Superman coming up. Welcome to Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. And we are sponsored by the Bemidji Theater, which is on Highway 2, just down from the airport. Remember, they've got the $5.50 movie nights on Tuesdays. They also have college nights as well. I can't remember the details off the top of my head for the Thursday. college nights. Yeah, Thursday, Thursday, anyone, not even just a student, but faculty, if you work at a school and you have some sort of documentation to prove it, then you get a discount on your tickets and obviously student IDs from any school. Actually, yes, I should correct myself. It's not just a college night. That's a nope. student night yes. that, or a school night. Yes. Or, because it's not just students, it's also faculty, too. You can't so. go watch a movie. It's a school night. It's just expanding more and more here with uh, with what it is because I'm, I'm remembering the details more readily more and more here. But anyway, you get a great discount if you are in such positions in life. So keep that in mind. If you're in this position in life, you can see a movie for much cheaper at the Bemidji CEC Theater. Don't forget, cectheaters.com. That's the website you want to go to for start times and show times and dates and so forth. You'll see them in a lot of places, but you'll also find out the hard way they're not always accurate. So go to cectheaters.com. That's where it's accurate. And it is $6 student night yes. as well is what the official designation is. It just kind of rolls off the tongue really well. Tell Missy and the crew we said, hi, what's up? Well, this might be our final podcast episode before we break for Christmas and the holidays. Maybe we'll squeeze one in before then. We'll we'll see. We've had a little bit of time off, though, because of some reshuffling and restructuring. Congratulations to Dave. Thank you. Who has been promoted here in-house at Paul Bunyan Broadcasting. This is getting a little meta here. Shows what they know. Yeah. Dave has been promoted and now is the program director for KB101 with the retirement of Todd Haugen. So congratulations, Dave. Thank you, sir. Now i got to get up super early in the morning. Now my wife is thrilled that I'm now a morning person. And the funny thing is, I rarely see her in the morning. <laughs> 
<laughs> kind of funny. Maybe, maybe that'll get worked out with more time. We'll get so. there. Anyway, we used to record the podcast in the morning, so this has caused us to have to kind of change our, our scheduling of recording a little bit and the day that we do that, too. So keep that in mind moving forward. Uh, it's going to change a little bit of how we, we do, but that's why we've been off for a month is replanning, rescheduling all of that a little bit. So There's a platform change that's coming up here, too. That yes. We won't speak specifically about it, but... So a couple of things are in flux, but I, I'm going to miss having donuts in the morning and coffee and talking movies. And now it's almost the end of my day when we record this, and now we're kind of doing it on Wednesdays, not Tuesdays, and hey, such is life. Now you are in a little bit more of my wheelhouse on a day-to-day basis. I'm here in the middle of the day. Not a lot of people tend to be, at least on air live, so that's where I reside. So anyway, all of that said... That's why we've been off for a month. There's been a lot that's been happening in that span of time, and there's a lot that's coming up, too. For instance, the big story in November was Black Panther, Wakanda Forever doing phenomenal at the box office. It was just outstanding. Broke I think it no- still is. Broke November records. Yeah, it is still doing excellent overall. Um, the movie has been every bit the the big sequel that it was expected to be. It has been tremendous. Black Panther doing really well. Black Adam, I mean, it came out like a house of fire, but it, apparently that fire went out a little quick. I just read something where they might be costing the studio millions and millions of dollars. That... You wonder how much Hollywood accounting gets put into that kind of thing, because a lot of people went and saw it, and I heard the reviews are pretty good. It should take care of itself, so I just keep your ears open to that one. Yeah, so anyway, for everybody, though, it was, I mean, Wakanda Forever was the story, and that was where a lot of the attention was in November. The big tent pole that's coming up here in December, coming up next week, Avatar The Way of Water is hitting theaters very, very soon. No details at this point in terms of expectation, at no. least that I've heard. No. What have you been uh, hearing rumblings? Uh, 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 yes, I can. I could cut you off, and I could say, uh, 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 yeah, they just had the first screenings for critics. Uh, no spoilers, but the overall reception is overwhelmingly rave reviews. Not just yeah, we liked it. Rave reviews, with most people saying, "I loved the first one. This is better." So look, look for the possibility of, for the planet Pandora, what Top Gun Maverick was this summer. And that's going to be the real big question because, yeah, this movie's going to come out with just weeks to go in 2022. So that's going to make it a 2022 movie, even though it might make a lot of its bank into 2023. Will it be the number one movie when all is said and done of 22? Will it beat Maverick? We'll which is still bringing in money. Yes, which has been. And I think it got a re-release in theaters briefly, maybe with some Oscar consideration in mind or wanting to try to keep people with an open mind on that. But yeah, Way of Water coming out here at the end of the year, that's that's going to make some major inroads, not just with box office numbers, but possibly with awards too. So I don't think we're going to know till spring which the number one movie of 2022 will ultimately be. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. It's going to take some time to be able to sort that out and figure it out, but Anticipation feels like it is growing for the way of water and and getting to a little bit more of a fever pitch now that it is here, the long-awaited sequel, and and then we'll see what happens from here as it is going to be spawning a whole series of movies that are going to be coming along here in the next few years, as I'm sure many are aware. So. Yeah, they've already filmed Avatar three, and it'll I think it's coming out next December. I think is what it is. But the one thing that is the question mark is so Avatar comes out in 2009. 
it goes down as the biggest movie of all time, and depending on the re-releases between that and Avengers Endgame, it is the first or second place all-time movie. But a lot of people in the last little while have been like, ah, Avatar, eh. I'm sorry, you don't make that come with the number one highest grossing movie ever, 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 without being good. It just doesn't happen by accident. Transformers, Revenge of the Fallen, people went and only then realized it was a horrible movie, but a lot of people went to see it. And then, of course, it was one of the top movies of the year, but it is nowhere near top box office draw ever. Now, the franchise could be another story, but I don't think it's going to touch like James Bond money. But despite that, you do not get to be Avatar and pull in that kind of money against other strong, great movie contenders if you wasn't something there. So I kind of wonder why Avatar just kind of like, eh, fell off the radar. But now people are kind of re-watching it on their DVD collections or streaming it or whatever, going to see it back in theaters. This really was a good movie. I can't wait for the sequel. I can't wait for the sequel. I was just talking to a few people who did just that this past week who went back, watched it again. And now they're getting ready for it to be in theaters here. So I wonder how many are saying, I forgot how good it was. Maybe that's part of the case here. But I'm curious, how much will the movie have in terms of a visual impact? Because that was a huge part of what made the first one so successful. It was just visually spectacular. Will it have that same kind of impact this time around? Is this one in 3D? I haven't heard. And I don't, I mean, are they still doing 3D movies? When was the last time I saw one? It's not, it's not what it was a few years yeah. ago when there, there was a real explosion of it that was out there. And even 3D IMAX, same knowing, thing. Knowing that this is James Cameron, he could say, no, no, I don't care. They're all coming out in 3D. And it would have come out in 3D. James Cameron will move Mount Olympus if it blocks his shot. So anyway, next week, that's going to be hitting theaters fully Avatar, The Way of Water. Well, we are talking today in the superhero realm. Dave brought up the idea of discussing Superman today for our podcast episode. As ever, there will be some spoilers involved with some of the things that we discuss. Superman spans decades on the big screen, and going from the comic books to the the big screen has been something that we have seen with a lot of different characters. Superman was one of the first ones who not only did so, but did so in a franchise type of fashion as well. It's interesting the way that Superman started, you know, on small screens. Schuster and Siegel came up with Superman were high school buddies. One was the writer, one was the illustrator. And the very first iteration of, of Superman, which goes as far back as the early 30s, was way different than what Superman ultimately turned out to be. He looked like a super evil Lex Luthor with no hair the very first time he ever showed up. And this is before the action comics. They later figured it out, and then you started getting into the Superman that we all kind of know and love. He's and the a, cartoon that was out there, too. Oh, that they all came out. But it had to start somewhere, and that was DC Comics. And it was this guy from Krypton, the planet's going to destroy itself, so his parents send him somewhere where he'll be safe, and the planet explodes, and just about everybody is killed. We presume everybody is killed, but over the various different issues and episodes, well, I also am from Krypton. Impossible. The whole planet, ah, but I survived as well, Kal-El. So you never really know how many Kryptonians may still be out there. But uh, the the sun that pow- that is around our planet Earth, the red sun of Krypton, 
works differently with the yellow sun of Earth. And so the yellow sun of Earth gives Superman these powers to fly and heat vision and super strength and all of this. And depending on whatever the writers come up with for any particular outing, he might have a brand new power that you've never seen or heard of before. So Superman is one of those characters that has got such a broad slate of possibilities. Uh, the, the, the pathways that he could take are truly endless. Yeah, so Superman, it, it looks like 1951 was when that first on-screen iteration was with Superman and the Mole Men Yeah, that ended up going on the big screen. So there were a couple of movie serials that looked like that were that were out there, too, that but, but involved him. But you can't really call it like a full-fledged motion picture, really. I mean, a lot of them were serials. You know, you'd see 15 minutes. Going to the movies back then was different. You didn't just go see a movie and, well, that was good and left. You got in there, there was a cartoon, then there were the newsreels, and then there'd be some of the serials like Flash Gordon, and then you'd get the full feature, and then maybe there'd be some more. It was an event. You went to the movies, and you were coming back for hours and hours and hours. It was a full-length thing. And uh, so Superman certainly factored into that. They did do some longer movies. They did a lot of serials. He made his way to TV because with a character like Superman and the flying, that is... An interesting thing. And we'll talk a little bit more about the flying concept when we really get to the big screen here. But yes. this was something that uh, it, it begged to be in a visual medium. Art and comic book d- uh, illustrations certainly worked well, but I've got to see him move. i got to see him fly. So getting George Reeves and others to do the part was only a matter of time. So here's a quick rundown. I'll give a quick rundown of all the movies that that have been released. So it, it started with Superman and the Mole Men in 1951. Then in the 1970s came Superman. 1978, Superman 2 followed two years later. Then Superman 3 was in 1983. That created a spinoff then, Supergirl, that was created. And then there was Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, in 1987. Eventually, Superman would return to the big screen with Superman Returns, fittingly, in 2006. Um, That did not ultimately produce any kind of sequel or follow-up to it. The series was then rebooted with Man of Steel in 2013. That was at the launch of the DC Extended Universe, which then led to Superman being in Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice in 2016, the Justice League the following year, and then the director's cut with Zack Snyder's Justice League in 2016. 21. But so even there, beyond that, there's, so there's the rundown to this point. And that's just big screen. You, you you can't leave out the small screen either. Now, we really focus on the movies here, but you can't. we'd be remiss if we didn't at least circle back. Uh, and I'm not just talking cartoons. We'll leave the kitty stuff just as a also ran, whether you, he and Batman teaming up with the Legion of Justice and so forth. But then it kind of got serious. He had Superboy, which made his debut. Smallville, which was a big drama of young upcoming Clark Kent. Finally becoming Superman. And not only that. And very popular, too. Oh, yeah. But even before that, in the 90s, there was The Adventures of Lois and Clark, which got, you know, Terry Clark or Terry. Um, Terry Hatcher. Thank you. Pardon me. I got to take a sip of water here. Carry on. Yeah. So there have been a lot of iterations where Superman has appeared on small screen coming from the comic book and onto, onto those avenues and avenues that focused on. The Clark Kent side of it as much as the Superman side as well, right? Well, yeah, and it was a lot of it was maybe not on Superman, but the dynamic between Clark and Lois, will they, won't they kind of thing. Will Lois ever find out? And and to different degrees of success and failure, Superman largely, with some exceptions, found some degree of success, but it never really became such an earth-shattering thing as, say, the Christopher Reeve era, and those were those four movies from the late 70s through the late 80s, and that 
even to this day, I'm going to argue, is maybe the high point of Superman of all time. Now, Dave, you have you have a real interest in comic book movies. I have. Uh, so, oh, so it's no, I'm not a comic book reader, really. So, like, so I'll give not that it's well. Okay, you and I both are not comic book readers. Then we have been comic book movie watchers. I yeah. mean, I I haven't gone. I've not been through the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe. Even DC, I've not been through all the movies that they've created there. But but you and I, we, we have certain appeal to certain characters, I think, is maybe the best way to describe it that we have. Um, it kind of depends on, on the character, and we have a, we take a liking to some more than others as far as, oh, yeah, I if, there, if it's a movie involving that character, I'll definitely get into it and watch it. I'll put it to you this way. Good is good. Uh, I'll give you a non-Superman-related Spider-Man comes to mind. I'm talking the Tobey Maguire one. I didn't know anything about Spider-Man. He's a guy who swings on his webs. Okay, what you know? who is he in real life? I don't know. I didn't know anything about Peter Parker. Was the, Didn't know anything. So all my friends, we're going Spider-Man, man, in 2002 or whatever that was. And I went not knowing anything, like, yeah, whatever, it'll be fun. And I loved it because I came in with zero expectations, and I just thought it was the bee's knees, man. It was awesome. Me too. Going to see Batman, Superman, I really wasn't, you know, I was aware because I'm a movie fan, but I wasn't like, this is going to be the almost awesome thing. I was kind of skeptical going in it already, which was good because I was sniffing it out already, and it was, I don't know, guys. And I left confirmed. I was like, yeah, it wasn't really the fact that both of them have a mother named Martha. Granted, I never really thought of that, but that's why they're not going to fight all of a sudden. That's it. That's the thing, really. Okay, it just—it was a round hole with a square peg yeah, all you, the way through. You found the stench yeah. and figured it out. But with Superman, though, Dave, you have talked a lot about the movies that were put together in the '70s and into the '80s. And you've, you and I, when we discuss movies a lot, you have brought those up, and you've had a real liking to them. And you introduced me to Superman as well, and and to that because I had not watched the original one then. So let's go into some of the backstory on how that project came together, and why did that land the way that it did, and and why did that seem to resonate like it did? You know. A, a lot of reasons, and some of enjoying Superman, the 1978, Christopher Reeve, Marlon Brando, Gene Hackman, Richard Donner directed it. Um, you almost have to take a look at it for what it was at the time. At the time, on live screen, whether it was big screen, the serials, or small screen TV, how did they get Superman to fly? There was a lot of different ways, and none of them were really convincing. There were ways where the guy would jump out the window and then they would cut to another shot, and it would be some various other version. It would be something on a wire. It would literally be a dummy catapulted. It would be turning him into a cartoon. He's live action, but the moment he goes to fly, he would literally transform into a cartoon and fly. It was never done in a way that was convincing that the guy that you just saw talk to Lois Lane has now lifted off the ground and is flying away in anything convincing at all. Then Star Wars comes out and everything starts to change. And a lot of that stuff, this is pre-computer generated effects. This all had to be done to some degree in camera. How can you do that in 1977 when they filmed it? Well, the way that you could do it with an inanimate object is with a model. That's what could. the typical way would be in that time. But what do you do when it's a person? That's where the real challenge was. They found a lot of ways, and I'm not going to go in down a technical rabbit hole. If you're really interested, you can look it up on YouTube. But they, long story short, they found a way to make Christopher Reeve, who played Clark Kent and Superman, look 
like he was flying. Obviously, they did the wire work, but they did a lot of other stuff, too, and they blended a lot of different tactics together That to the point that was the tagline of the movie, not the Man of Steel this Christmas. You will believe a man can fly. That was the tagline for the movie. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. And that's exactly what it was. And that was a huge drawing point. You can't understate it. So what? It's a special effect. Yeah, you say that in the day of CGI where you can do anything. This all had to be done in camera. On top of that, it was a stellar cast. You have Brando, who, despite his weird eccentricities, is one of the greatest actors of all time, whether it's uh, The Godfather, or which he won the Oscar for. He, at this point, was already starting to give up a little bit. He didn't memorize any of his lines. He had his lines taped to people's chests. He had them laying on the floor, and he would just kind of deliver them in such a way that it worked. His performance is great. Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor had just come off the French Connection and other things to the point that Mar- that uh, Marlon Brando, who is Jor-El, fa- uh, the father of Superman, and Gene Hackman, who's Lex Luthor, they got number one and number two top billing over the man himself, Superman, Christopher Reeve, who at the time was an unknown. That's right. But was playing Superman. That's It's crazy. So it was a completely different thing. Now, behind the scenes, this is almost as fascinating as the movie itself. So the rights to Superman on the big screen were bought by a father and son duo, the Salkins. That's right. Alexander and Ilya, I think is how you say it. Ilya, yeah. Sal- Salkin. So they were... Not sure of what they wanted to do with this. They had limited experience in filmmaking. They'd only really made a couple of movies. The biggest credit at this point to there was probably the, a French version of The Three Musketeers. And it was very kind of slapsticky, wacky. So now they've got this American iconic character of Superman. Well, that Three Musketeers worked for us. We'll do the same thing with Superman. And they weren't going to treat him with the reverence that they needed. Now, at this point, Richard Donner, you know him now who was recently passed a couple years ago, but he's got a huge list of credits. But at this point, the only movie that he was known for really was The Omen. came out a couple years before in 1976. He hadn't done the Lethal Weapon movies yet. He hadn't done uh, The Goonies yet and many others. He is a, he's one of the greats of all time. So Richard comes along and said, you know, you cannot treat this guy like a punchline. You have to treat him with, the, with reverence and you have to take this seriously. Now, Behind the scenes, in order to make costs work, they came up with a bunch of ideas and they decided we're going to film two movies simultaneously. Really interesting concept to go that route. Had never been done to this point before. Nowadays, yeah, like the Lord of the Rings movies, they filmed all three of them simultaneously. Correct. This kind of thing happens now, but back then it was completely unheard of. Yeah, that you get a sequel automatically built in with this. That alone was unheard of, let alone we'll do the first one, we'll take a week break and then we'll film it. No. They filmed them all. Okay, this scene is for part one, guys. Go. All right, reset the scene. This one's for part two. But there were so many problems behind the scenes, whether it was from a technological standpoint, getting Superman to fly, and a lot of disagreements between the Salkins and, uh, and, and the director, Donner. So it got to the point where they had already sold the first movie. It had to be out by, I forget what the date was, but the date was absolutely locked in and could not be altered. So it got to the point behind the scenes, all right, guys, look. We need to stop filming them simultaneously. We've got uh, probably over half of Superman 2 shot. 
but we need to focus on one now. We need to film the rest of one and get it done. They were 80% through Superman 2, apparently, when they got to the point where they made that decision, all right, we got to finish the first one. How crazy is that? Yeah. That's just how simultaneous they were. It was, But it was so tight on the time. We, we've got a lot done with two. We'll be fine with two. We got to finish one. And that became the focus. And it was just a mad dash. But long story short, they got it done. It comes out. It was huge. Now, remember, just a few years ago when Black Panther came out, the first one, it was nominated for Best Picture in the Academy Awards. And people were like, what? The original Superman was the only other superhero movie, DC or Marvel or anything, that was nominated for Best Picture of 1979, I think was the year that the Oscars came out for. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, that's how big this movie was. It was huge. All right, success. Now let's finish the other 20% or whatever with Superman 2. And then it really kind of fell off the rails. Yes, because they decided to fire Donner. You know, Donner is one of those guys, he will stand up for what he believes in. And I am a fan of that. I like Donner for a lot of reasons, but that's one of them. Clearly, the father and son duo, you, know, you could make the argument they didn't know what they were doing. You could argue that they did know because they just had a movie come out and it was nominated for Best Picture Academy Award. But who really was responsible for that? A lot of people say Donner. A lot of people, it's the producer that does it. Let the arguments commence over coffee. And maybe that's a big part of why they made the decision that they did. So they bring in a guy named Richard Lester who had directed that Three Musketeers movie before and he was no problem with a slapstick. And you knew something was brewing up anyway because even when they were working on the first stuff, they already brought him in to kind of be a conduit between the Don- between Donner and the Selkins to the point where Donner and the Selkins weren't even talking anymore. It just, you shut up, you do your thing, I'll do my thing, I'll make this movie good. And Donner succeeded. So now they didn't want to go through this anymore. They had the clout. They said, you're done. Well, in order to have a movie officially directed by somebody, he has to direct 50% of it. We saw this happen, or 51% of it. We saw this recently when the Solo movie came out where we had Miles and Lord get fired and Ron Howard took over. There were a lot of scenes that were shot, but had to be reshot so that it would be officially a Ron Howard film. So this had to happen with Superman 2, and they also took the opportunity to change a few things. So this is where a lot of the slapstick started getting worked into Superman 2. There's a lot of scenes in there that Donner shot. In fact, Donner makes a cameo just before Superman or Clark and Lois pull up to the diner. There's a guy that walks by the car. As they pull up, that's Richard Donner. So he still has a lot to do with Superman 2, but officially he didn't direct it because ultimately the final scenes were you know 49% directed by Richard Donner and the rest by Richard the Lester, whatever the, the ratio is. Two interesting things I've discovered here. Number one, did you know that Lester was the mediator in yes. their conflict between them? Yes. How interesting is that? That he So much for being a mediator, and then he's the guy who ends up being the director. Number two, the original movie actually had a different director who was originally hired. It was Guy Hamilton who made Bond. Yes, you you may be familiar with that name because he had done several James Bond movies back in the sixties. He was signed to be the director, but he never got to set. It never got that far along. It was like I said. There's a lot of different discussion, but the one that carries, I think, the most weight was he knew going in this is going to be a problem with the Salkins. They they this had real creative differences, and so ultimately Guy Hamilton, who was a name at this point, walked. Richard Donner, who is a name, at the time was not a name. He Actually, needed something to do. Part of it, too, um, with Hamilton was, yeah, he stepped away from it. And 
part of the issue was they filmed in England and he couldn't shoot there because he had violated tax payments. Yeah, that too. So that also played a role as well. But yeah, I mean, he was doing really well at the time because he had done Goldfinger and then he did three movies in the 70s that were from the Bond series. So he was he was a name. But then, yeah, they that's what led to Richard Donner and then the rest is history. You got to wonder, Guy Hamilton, as talented as he was, you watch a lot of those and they were filmed the way that they were just making him at that time. They didn't film the special effects scenes on Superman like anything had been done except maybe for Star Wars. And even then, that movie wasn't even out yet before they were working on Superman. So you can't say Superman is a direct result. It also benefited from changes in technology that were happening at the moment. Would Guy Hamilton have explored those changes or would he have stuck to the tried and true? And if that was what a big ingredient of making Superman fly, making this film fly, I wonder if it would have worked if Guy Hamilton had stayed on board. But anyway, they get into Superman 2, Richard Lester takes over, it becomes a much more comedic movie. And on top of that, there were people that were part of the cast, primarily, that were like, eh, I don't care. Well, let's fire the director. And other guys, like Gene Hackman, said, if you fire him, I walk. And he did. So they had to finish filming Superman 2 without Gene Hackman. Now, he's in a lot of the scenes, but they had to finish it out with other ways to do it. You're going to wonder why a lot of the voiceovers sound, that doesn't sound like Gene Hackman at all. Why is... Yeah. That's why. He yeah. hadn't done the voiceovers yet. They got some other guy who was about as talented as a voiceover guy as I say I am. It just, it didn't really work. You could tell something was up. Superman himself changed size because he'd had more time to bulk up compared to the early scenes. Now... It should also be noted that in the last few, in the last 10 years or so, roughly 70 to 80% of the movie had been shot with Richard Donner, but not all of it. They were finally granted access into the vault to get as much material that actually did exist and do a rough cut of it. But again, not everything had ultimately been shot. So if you go watch Superman 2, the theatrical version, and then the Donner cut, they had to do the best they could with what they had. Which makes it kind of weird to watch because it's like you're watching something on a soundstage Cause, at times. Because it was. There was a screen test between Christopher Reeve and and Margot Kidder, who played Lois Lane. And that's all it was. They filmed the screen test. It was literally on a cardboard set. They hadn't finished out all the details. It was just to see the two of them reading dialogue together. That's it. But that's all that existed, that, that scene that Richard Donner had anything to do. So that is inserted in. Um, The other thing was both movies more or less have the same ending with Superman flying back in time to change it. The original plan for the original Superman was to do the back in time thing. Well, then when they realized that we're going to not be able to finish Superman 2 right away, let's do one. Other things had to be changed, and they just took the ending of 2 and they put it at the end of 1. And we'll we'll figure out the ending of 2 later. But that was the original ending. Oh, boy. So it's a little, well, it's repetitive. Yeah, but this is as close as a glimpse as we can give you of what the Donner version would have been. And a lot of the slapstick stuff is taken out, it, which is better. What do you think? The, the, the Donner version isn't finished, and it looks like it's not finished. But you can see where it would have gone to. It's an interesting question. So that right there, I think, is arguably the high point of Superman of all time, ever. It's never gotten quite so high. Long story short, we'll pick up the speed here again. Superman 3 and Superman 4, Donner's completely out of this now. The Selkins have full control, and they're going to do Superman their way, and they do. Well, it created a clash then with Superman 3 because apparently Ilya Salkin wrote a treatment that that was his own, but then Warner Brothers rejected it and wanted to retool that script themselves 
which ended up creating already a little bit of a creative difference that was involved there and turned into something that was just okay, right? It's not it's watchable, but it's nothing special. You know, the best thing about that movie, unfortunately, another incident of being upstaged isn't Superman at all, not Christopher Reeve, but the guest star for that movie, Richard Pryor. Who has even said he's not, he was just in it to be in it. So he did a, a talk on the Johnny Carson Tonight Show about what a fan he was of Superman. The producers saw it, and one thing led to another, and he ended up in the new oh, Superman man. movie. Yeah. It is that simple. It was that simple of logic to bring him in. And again, further changed the tone of the movies based on where it had started in the first one to now where it was in the third, and it just took that tone a completely opposite direction. This is the Salkins Superman as you can truly see what it's going to be. And then just real quick, skipping along Superman 4, while they were making it, they had plans to do Superman 4 and 5 simultaneously. We'll just use uncut, you know, the footage we cut out from 4 to make 5. That's how bottom of the barrel... These guys were scraping. Christopher Reeve wanted more involvement. He wanted a better... So he got a say over the story, and after that, he was out as far as production goes. It's lower than Superman 3. You know, Gene Hackman was back, but it's it's just a mess. It's just a mess. And the fact that they actually did proceed on a Superman 5, well, all the scenes we cut out, we'll just put them back together. We'll make a whole movie out of that. That's it? That's all you're going to do? Yeah. Make it on the cheap and hopefully it'll go long was their whole strategy. And it just, Superman 3 and 4 will illustrate that. And that's a good reason why Superman, at least from the big screen gun, it disappeared for a while. Yes, it disappeared for quite some time as even other superhero entities were starting to now arrive. Which makes the the timing of Superman's return in Superman Returns, I did it again, look at that, Um, very interesting because in the span of time since then, you have had the Batman movies that have announced themselves that, much like the Superman movies, had a great peak with their first two, then a slow decline on the third one, and then a bottom falling out on the fourth one immensely. Then you have the Spider-Man movies that arrived in the early 2000s alongside the X-Men movies. Then you have another Batman movie that comes along, Batman Begins, that comes in 2005. And now one year later, You have Superman Returns and Superman finally reaching the big screen stage again after a somewhat puzzling absence that had been there, given the success that had been there previously. But it arrived, I think, at a time where it was kind of tough to be coming back, Dave, given how increasingly diluted the superhero genre was starting to become and and a a movie that was good but didn't find its place. There's a whole lot of the Superman story that happens not on screen, that happens behind, and I don't even mean on a TV show. I mean, there's that. Like I said, we're going to focus more on the movie side, so obviously Lois and Clark, you got to look that up. Superboy, look that up. Um, But behind the scenes, nobody in Hollywood that was going to be listened to knew what to do with a superhero character at all, at all. You watch the Batman franchise, Tim Burton really did some good things with that, but he also took some interesting choices in that to the point where he was ultimately like, yeah, good job, Tim, you can go. The next thing he got involved in from the superhero franchise behind the scenes was Superman. It was. Go, yep. I can't go into all the details because it'll take forever and it's just a cluster, but go look up Superman Lives. There's YouTube channels on it, but I mean, the long story short, Tim Burton Nicholas Cage he as was Superman going to be Clark Kent at the to the point where they did costume fittings. I mean, this was coming along. 
there was a story that nobody liked. Kevin Smith did as it is a great one of those an evening with Kevin Smith. It's on YouTube. Go find it. Go listen to it. Where he got hired to write the new Superman movie by the producer John Peters, who had been along for the Donner era onward. Who honestly, and Warner Brothers, by the way, had taken over in 1993. Oh yeah, they, but they John Peters was the was the head producer, and he didn't care about Superman at all. He just this was money for him. I don't want to see him fly. I don't want to see him in the suit. It's like, well, then you don't have a Superman movie. I don't know what you want to make, but this isn't Superman. You're making a Clark Kent. There's movie. a whole bunch to sift through. It's like spaghetti with a comb, you guys. It's going to take you a while, but it will be a worthwhile journey if you're really into Superman. I'm seeing three different iterations oh, yeah. of it that existed. There was Tim Burton's Superman Lives. Then Wolfgang Peterson got involved with Batman versus Superman. And then J.J. Abrams scripted Superman flyby and and had a couple of different directors who were there, one of them being McGee who yeah. was in there. And so they they had all these ideas that were floated, put out there, tried, didn't stick, and and so eventually it bounced to two thousand six. In two thousand the X Men came out and that kind of started things. Batman Begins came out just a few years after that. Now superheroes are starting to get like, ooh, hang on a second now. And even before they came out, you, they were coming, and they knew they were coming. Warner Brothers knew they had to do something with this character, and it didn't ultimately matter what was going to happen and who was going to do it. Enough to the point, and this is another thing you can look into if you want. Brian Singer, who directed Superman Returns, had actually directed the first two X-Men movies and was going to do the third one. Meanwhile, Brett Ratner was attached to the Superman movie. They literally swapped projects. Brian Singer and his crew left 20th Century Fox and left the third X-Men movie to do Superman. They were in pre-production, too. Yeah. I mean, they're far along. And 20th Century Fox was not happy about that. And in a couple of movies that they got involved in, they kind of more or less punished them about those movies. But that's a whole other thing. There's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. You can look it up. I'm just giving you nuggets to lead you to the rabbit hole. So go there. But ultimately, Brian Singer gets involved in Superman Returns. All right. We've got a brand-new Superman that even went to the part where they got the blessing. At this point, Christopher Reeve had had his paralysis incident. He'd already passed away. His widow, who not long after passed away, almost gave the stamp of approval also. So they get this guy, and he. And so Christopher Reeve's widow's like, yeah, I think he'll be a worthy Superman follower. You have our blessing. And so now you get Brandon Routh, who comes in to take over the cape. Here's a funny story. Apparently his manager had signed him several years prior because he had such a resemblance to Christopher Reeve, and he saw the potential that was there for him to maybe fill the role that he had been known for. He did a good job. He really, really did. Um but, again, you're only as good as the material you have. You're only as good as what the writer did. you got to say, Brian Singer is a great person to create this. But this movie was already fairly far along before he got involved. So the ultimate comes down to whoever was in charge of this. They had an interesting story, but it needed a couple more passes to get it done. And I'll bet you there was a lot of force pushing to get this done, get it done, get it done. It was almost an emo Superman it was borderline creepy a little bit, where Superman is staring at Lois through with X-ray vision, just hovering outside the house. That's a little creepy. You know, Christopher Reeve didn't do that. He just flew up, hello, Lois, let's have a talk. You know, that was much more straightforward. But the whole, you could get what they were going for. It also lacked in action sequences. And there wasn't one punch thrown. In short, very dour. Yeah, it was much more about character development and not so much on action sequences, which is good, but they got the ratio wrong. You can't have an action movie with limited action. And it's not that there isn't some stuff to see. The whole plane sequence was really cool, but it was 
quick and it was over. Uh, things like that could have certainly gone forward. You didn't ever really get to see what Superman was capable of doing, and everyone wanted to see it. The movie came out. It was okay. It was it was a swing and a dribbler down the third baseline is all that that movie was. It was good, but it wasn't great. So now we'll do a Superman Returns 2. Well, then that got all hung up and blah 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 long story short. Excellent. It didn't happen. Yep. So now we got to move forward. Now what are we going to do? Well, now the Dark Knight trilogy has come out, and it's gone absolutely fantastic. And you almost get the feel Warner Brothers, who was already involved in this, were saying, hey, can you uh, – Maybe help us out just a little bit so you get guys involved in Batman behind the scenes just enough to kind of, you know, I'll write the first sentence just to get you started and then they can kind of go from there. And so now you've got the Man of Steel moving forward very much in the mold of what was the Dark Knight trilogy. Yeah, and they had gone that route because apparently David S. Goyer, who worked with Christopher Nolan on the on while they were putting together plans for The Dark Knight Rises – was aware of what was going on with Warner Brothers doing this, and he had an idea that they that he had in mind for how to be able to present this and how to be able to put this together in a modern sense. And so then they pitched that to Warner Brothers, and they got the green light on it where Goyer was going to write, and Nolan was going to produce in this case. He was not going to be in the director's chair like he had been for the Dark Knight trilogy. They were going to be a little bit more in the overhead department for all of this. But they had an idea that was in mind, and now they just needed to fill in that director spot. Enter Zack Snyder. The problem with this, it's not that what they did wasn't good, it just it needed another pass, but it also needed a lot more color to it. This was, Superman. If, dark, if Batman is the dark, and he avenges from out of the darkness, that's what Batman is, so monochromatic, very dark, that's Batman. They use those color palettes to paint Superman, and that's just not how you paint Superman. Superman is supposed to be what we want to emulate to become. He is a beacon of good and light. He is the yang to Batman's ying. But they painted him the way that you do Batman. It was a darker movie. It was much more gritty. And gritty is not necessarily what you do with Superman. I get what they were going for. I think one more pass on the script, they would have been, if not, they got it. They would have been that much closer. But instead, it was a Batman movie, but wearing a Superman cape in a lot of ways. It wasn't bad. But it was, while the Superman Returns was much more about character development, not so much on action sequences, this flipped the ratio a little bit. It was interesting in some of the character developments, I grant you that. In a lot of ways, it was kind of the uh, the beginning Genesis story. In a lot of ways, it was a more action-packed version of the 1978 movie, Coming to Earth, how it started. But it took different turns from there. It just had too much of a dark cloud over it in some ways with the way that it felt, with the tone and everything, which... Is okay, and I I thought I thought there were a lot of good qualities about it as well. I mean, we got Henry Cavill on the big screen, and that this was did a just, great job. It was the beginning for him. It was just the beginning for him. The music I think is underratedly good from that movie from Hans Zimmer. Like the the theme from that one, it's just it's really got a cool kind of sound to it. It's not the first theme. Yeah. It's not the original theme. I like it a lot, though. There's kind of a spectacular quality to it that's always appealed to me. But it just, the whole movie, yeah, it just was kind of dark. And then then there was also the controversial ending to the movie, too, that's yeah. involved, where we're getting into one of these spoilers here. But big, big spoiler. He kills General Zod. Like You're like, what in the world? Superman kills him? There, There's... 
just this stunning. I mean, they are beating each other to a pulp in this final battle, and then some way, somehow, in the end, he kills him. And broke it's, one it, of the big rules. Like, Whoa, yeah, that's a huge rule broken there, and I think it just compounded what had already been a, a, a darker kind of movie, and and one that maybe didn't have to be quite that, quite that brooding, and goes that route with it. And it's like, oh man, what in the world is this? Yeah. So back to the music point, and then we'll get to the killing point. That was I do like the score for that movie. It's good. But if you lifted it off of The Man of Steel and you put it on a different action movie, it would work just fine. You cannot do that with a 1978 John Williams. It is Superman to the core. Yes. Gets great soundtrack, but not for this movie. Get a different soundtrack that is bright. But then again, they painted it in the Batman vibe. It's not that dissimilar from the Batman vibe. Hans Zimmer's score for the Dark Knight trilogy works great because it works for Batman. Monochromatic, dark doesn't work for superman use it for something else although i thought the theme had a very heroic sound it does the theme the theme is very heroic but yes there is even a a part at the beginning that's that's in that kind of batman mold where it's just very if they use that score for the shazam movies it would have worked just fine it would have been a heroic quality it would have been just fine it's not good enough for superman talented very good not for Superman, try again. It speaks to the tone of the movie being yes, what it was. But that's Absolutely a, mi- but a misuse in the tone. Right. So the killing point. Yeah, that's a big thing with Superman. Superman does not kill. He does not kill. But now he has. And he killed his biggest nemesis in a lot of ways. You could say whether it's Lex Luthor. With that, we could talk about that in a second here, too. Um, but General Zod, for as far as somebody with his equal footing other than Doomsday, it's got to be General Zod and done. Over, it's and he, killed, he broke his rule to do it. Uh, I don't know what I could say other than I totally would have made a different choice. I could elaborate, but why? I would have made a different choice. Don't kill him. Make a different choice. Well, what do you want to do? I don't know. Make a different choice. That is not the choice. Be creative. Yeah, it was just it was a combination of things that didn't fully work out. And it's not all on Zack Snyder. It was on it was on the fact that the plan and idea that they put together it just. It didn't fit for what you are supposed to get out of Superman. Now, you could take some serious themes and serious ideas and put them to a story that it, that still does feel very light and adventurous and, and has that Superman quality to it. You could absolutely do that, and it doesn't have to be something like what we've seen from the Marvel movies that have churned out the same kind of happy-go-lucky sort of adventure piece, at least until we hit some of the later ones here in recent years, but... They just went too hard in the Batman direction there, and it carried over then into Dawn of Justice. Well, so there's something else going on that you have to pay uh, attention to. People can get lost in the details here, so let's just spell it out. Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Aquaman, those are all DC comics. It's like Ford versus Chevy. They're comic book characters. Yeah, but this one's owned by Ford. This one's owned by Chevy. These are DC comic characters. While, Meanwhile, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is going gangbusters. By this point, the first Avengers movie had come out. Well, if you're a Ford owner and you're seeing what Chevy's doing, you want your car to do what that car's doing. DC wants to do the same thing that Chevy's doing. The Dark Knight trilogy is over. Hans Zimmer has moved on to greener pastures. So has Christopher Nolan. Well, now what are we going to do? We still got Batman. We could bring back Superman. They want to emulate and they want to go into building this connected universe. Now, I will give credit here to what DC did. It's one of the few things that they've done well. 
Look at what Universal tried to do, and they also tried to get on the same idea by doing the dark universe, Frankenstein, Wolfman, Mummy, so forth. They were going to design this to be a house from the get-go without building a solid foundation, just make a good standalone movie. They couldn't do that, so when they did The Mummy, it was trying to build into all these other things that weren't there yet, and the whole thing collapsed before they barely got started. When DC started to do this, they were building the ground floor. Now, The Dark Knight trilogy didn't factor into this, but in a lot of ways it built the foundation without trying to be part of something bigger. With interest. Yeah, with interest. Let's make a Superman movie that's just a good Superman movie and we'll worry about the rest after that. And they did. The Man of Steel is not a bad movie, but it's just... It's it's slightly overcooked. It could have been so much yeah. better. Like I like some parts of it a lot, but the, it could have been better. That's the that's the disappointing thing. It's a dinner that you did okay job on, but you forgot to put in the oregano, and that you just can't pizza without oregano. You, you need the tomato sauce. You need to have certain things there that just weren't there, and it was okay, but it wasn't great. Now they're going to try to build this giant connected universe, and that moves forward with Batman versus Superman. Zack Snyder's back. Basically, it's everyone back from the Man of Steel, but now we're throwing in this entirely different component where you've got an all-new Batman. Uh, That's where Ben Affleck comes in, and we're going to put them together, but we don't want them to team up. We want them to fight. But on top of that, we're going to bring in Wonder Woman on the backside and start building for something that's going to be this DC universe, expanded universe, whatever you want to call it. Um, The whole idea between getting these guys to fight in the first place was half-brained at best. It just, it, it just, if you look at it at all and you pick at it like a scab, the whole thing falls apart really, really quickly. It just doesn't hold up. Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor was obnoxious to the point where I, it takes away from, I don't dislike him as an actor. I love him in Zombieland and a lot of stuff I've seen him in, but not as Lex Luthor. That was a horribly done idea. And it's not that he's not a good actor at doing it. It's just he did what he was assigned to do and did a great job at it. Problem was what they wanted him to do was not a good thing to do. And it just didn't work. And the idea between getting these guys to fight and then the way they get them to not to fight, oh, your mom's Martha too? Well, I guess we better be friends. Yeah, going back to that again. what it was. Yeah. Yep. It just, the whole thing was kind of, uh, they're still painting all of this with Batman colors, even where Superman is involved, even in a movie that has Batman in it. <sighs> Ends with another big moment at yeah. the very end of the movie. Another spoiler involved. Superman gets killed. And it's not by one of his villains. No, it's a creature that's been genetically created with DNA involving some of his villains. And that's what ultimately does him in at the very end. Or is he? But it, it was a big moment for, what? Oh. for DC Comics in the 90s. Gosh, they had a, what a movie. They oh. had an episode comic, The Death of Superman. And this was huge. This was huge. Doom's, it was part of the inspiration. Yeah. Doomsday. Same character. Does him in, and it was, holy moly, Superman died in the comics? What? Well, then there was a resurrection in the comics, and you can go down that rabbit hole and learn more about it. But they took the genesis of that to work into the death of Superman. But again, that's only going to lead into Superman's return again when they do the Justice League movies. And you're going to see Henry Cavill literally rise from the grave as he comes back. And now you've got Batman and Wonder Woman together. Henry Cavill's going to rejoin him, and you have some others So now we're going to do the full Avengers version for DC, and it just, 
by all accounts, really didn't work. Same principle applies here. There was, you took any scene from the Justice League and you compared it to any comparable scene from Avengers, You it was not hard to see why one was working and the other was not. Why the cake was rising on the Marvel side and not on the DC side. There were no stakes. Nobody was into it. The writing was just, well, let's just get them together and it'll just take care of itself. No, it didn't. If you've watched the re-edited uh, Snyder version that's on HBO Max, it's like 12 days to watch it. It's long, <laughs> but it is better. But even then, at best, it's not great. So, And that's almost where we stand right now as far as Superman on the big screen. But they have announced that he's going to come back. It's going to be Henry Cavill again, but that's almost as far as it's gone. He's coming back, guys. In what? We don't know. We'll tell you later. So stay tuned on where it's going to go from here. But I like the fact that Henry Cavill's part of this. He Me is, too. He yeah. is the, the – you could tell it's a very good actor. It's not what he's doing. It's what he's being told to do. And as fans, remember this now. Getting down on, say, Star Wars actors and actresses because you don't like the way the direction of the film is going, don't yell at them. Yell at the people that wrote the lines and directed the scenes. And blah. These people are doing their best, including Henry Cavill. They've done a great job. They just need better material. Which brings me to and brings us in this discussion to a question that continues to hover in my mind with the Superman character. And when you brought this idea up to me was one that immediately leaped to mind because I I think it's the easy question. Why has Superman not worked consistently on the big screen? And I think if if I were to answer that, because it's it's my question that that came to mind for me. And if I were to try to answer it. I think what we just laid out, Dave, in this this whole chronological discussion of Superman on the big screen is that it this has been a property and a character that I think has lacked proper oversight from the very beginning. You can go back to the late 1970s and early 1980s with even what was at the time very successful stuff that hit the big screen with Superman. And yet you see all of that infighting that was going on. You see the lack of proper direction and, and, and planning that went into being able to make it sustain beyond the opening two movies to the point where, I mean, Donner was gone there in the second movie, and it was just, it was just the beginning of the unraveling with that four-movie series. Then you bring it back in 2006. You have a, a pretty good movie that, that's out there, but again, it just it lacked the proper full oversight to be able to make it happen. And then, boy, I, I mean, the last decade, it's been a lack of proper overhead, again, that has been doing the damage to Superman and to what they have tried to do with all of this with Man of Steel, which was just very mixed, and then of Dawn of Justice, which was just awful. I mean, you go from an opening weekend that was enormous to one of the biggest drop-offs weekend to weekend in Hollywood history. It nosedived. Why? Because everybody saw the absolute mess that it was. And what a cool concept in theory. And then they completely got it wrong. And I look at it and I go, it feels like there has just been a huge lack of of proper, uh, proper overhead on what is this character supposed to have in terms of a tone. How is this supposed to feel, and how is this supposed to play out? I think they've done a good job of capturing some of the conflict involved with being a guy from another planet who is now living amongst 
human folk and having to be one of them and go through all of that and deal with all of that. I mean, the Smallville TV show really unpacks that and, and gets into that and what that all looks like. Superman as a character kind of summarizes that of bringing all that he does to this. He almost is is a perfect cartoon character and comic book type of character. It can be really hard then to take a character like that and to be able to put them into a big screen setting. You know, you talked about that with the flying early on and how that was a challenge getting him on the big screen simply for that. I think the challenge extends beyond that too with a character who seems like a really well-suited comic book character but one that can be pretty hard then to bring into a movie type of setting and go, what's the right tone to take here? It's funny, the biggest challenge facing the 1978 film was how do you make them look good flying? That is the easiest part now, because CGI just didn't exist back then. Well, now we'll just do it, clickety clack, and it's done. And it looks pretty good. So problem solved. Now it looks cool doing? when he was learning how to fly in Man of Steel. Yeah. That, that was pretty neat. I will say for Man of Steel, there are great moments in that movie that I wish that had become what had spread out over the rest of the movie. I know. But then other things took control and squeezed it down, and all the good stuff kind of went away. There's moments of brilliance where you could see where that movie could have been. And that, I think, leads into the first big problem. There's too many people involved that all have their own way. And what you need is something that happened the first go-round with Richard Donner. He was in a position to make a huge influence of difference and to the point where the Salkins fired him for it. He, I think, was single – well, not I can't say single-handedly because Christopher Reeve was awesome at what he did. Lois Lane made it work and Margot Kidder. Gene Hackman makes such a great bad guy. So on and so forth. The cast was fantastic. The, the main guys, the supporting guys, the score – but Richard Donner made that stuff happen. You had a guy that was willing to you know, say to all these other stupid opinions coming in, let's just call it what it was. No, that's stupid. You have to treat this guy with reverence. He's an iconic character. No, that will not happen in this movie. Nobody is doing that now. you got too many people that are all of equal footing, and they're all going to get their way. You need a Kevin Feige type. That's go- No, this is what's going to happen. You work for me. This is what's going to happen. And on top of that... He clearly knows what he's doing. He treats the character with reverence, and that's the other inherently built-in problem with Superman. He's Superman. People bring it up in general. I can't do that. I'm not Superman. Superman can do anything. Bullets aren't going to affect him. So where is the real threat? It can't just be to, well, Lois could get hurt. Lois almost gets hurt in every episode. New challenge. That's the hard part. How do you make vulnerable somebody who essentially, other than kryptonite, has no vulnerabilities? And that, I think, explains some of why the tone has gone the direction that it has in some of these recent tries on the big screen. Because what do you do? You make it an existential crisis. You bring him back from a five-year hiatus like they did in the 2006 movie, and he's having to try to deal with the fact that the world is different and the people closest to him are different and are changed now. They have him go through this off into the off into the wastelands and the wonderland of going and and working on a fishing boat in Man of Steel to have him go through some of that existential crisis there and having to deal with that. You have all that comes with being Superman and all of his actions of that that movie that get put onto a national and world stage in Dawn of Justice where it's He's now a bit of a pariah where the people are looking at him and going, this guy is controversial. This guy is extreme. This is too much, and that's what brings Batman into the fray. So they have tried to bring the conflict into the picture with those things, 
but it's run up against some of those other tone things that made the original Superman on the big screen work so well. I think there's also another component that has nothing to do with Superman itself. I think it's the times in which Superman is. Superman came about during the time of Prohibition. We needed somebody to stand up that was bright and bold and stood for good. The 1960s and the 1970s, this country in a lot of ways poked itself in the eyeball. We needed something positive. The Miracle on Ice game was an example of that. Superman... It was the Great Depression in the 30s, too, well, that, that was well, coming through. Well, yeah, yeah. There was a lot of that. Same thing with the time that Christopher Reeve came about. The Miracle on Ice game wouldn't necessarily have been the Miracle on Ice team if it had happened in 1986 or 84 for those Olympics. We needed it now. There's a lot of bad stuff was going on. That's what made Hulk Hogan in pro wrestling so good. He was an icon of good. He had monsters to slay, but you knew he was going to rise above the fray and do it. It was a product of Until its time. Until the NWO came calling. Well, it wouldn't work so well at a different time. That's one of the reasons that Hulk Hogan as a character failed into the 90s. It's one of the reasons that Superman kind of went away into the 90s. Look where we are now. And this, why Batman emerged. Exactly. Batman works better in the darker times because it feeds into us. Look at what's going on in the U.S. now. We need something of bold and bright and good. If we brought in the Superman of, say, Christopher Reeve era, particularly the first two movies, that is infallible, he is good, he is going to fight for truth, justice, and the American way and mean it, think of what that could do and how that would resonate today. If Christopher Reeve's 1978 movie or a, res- a, res- a 2023 version of that came out next year. Holy moly, that movie would probably resonate because it would push back so hard against everything else that's going on and in such a positive way. It's not just what you write. It's also a product of what's going on around him. Yeah, and that's where DC's involvement in this makes me very wary of how this is going to go because it's been so hit and miss. Let's just look specifically at the the DC Extended Universe since they started getting into all of those projects. Leaving out the Dark Knight trilogy, which was... Yes, DC-backed, but it, it was DC-backed, but it was Christopher Nolan's baby, and, and it worked out phenomenally. He could say, I got this, don't touch it, and they didn't, and it, wow. Exactly, but since the, the DC project has kicked off, it's been it's been more misses than hits overall. I mean, Wonder Woman was a huge hit. Aquaman, depending on who, on who you talk to, worked pretty well. Justice League is incredibly polarizing because you get those people who who go, oh my gosh, it worked great. Forget what the critics say. This worked really well. But then others who go, yeah, but it didn't really appeal across a large scale. Of course, there's been the competition with Marvel and, and DC getting a late start like they did compared to Marvel, which started so well and established a foothold. The Avengers, keep in mind, came out a year prior to Man of Steel. The first Avengers came out prior to that. By then, there are already a few movies under the belt with what the Marvel Cinematic Universe was doing. That's tough when you're having to play catch-up. Now, maybe in some ways they can catch, they can come out of the backdraft of that and find their own way as maybe the MCU peters out, if it would, or if it would lose momentum. That's where it would seem that, that DC would have a shot here. But they've not taken it. They've not taken it with the projects that they've done. They've not really grasped it. But that's why I, I really do hope that with this upcoming project, that, hey, get Henry Cavill back. Get Amy Ab- Adams back. Get the, the crew back, at least as much of them as you can here, and let's see if you can get the tone right. Let's see if you can get the right people in the overhead of this who have an appreciation for the Superman character, who understand what he's about, 
who take a good read of what's been done in the comic book setting, in the cartoon setting as well. DC has done exceptionally well in the cartoon setting. They they have hit strongly there. Now, a lot of that's been Batman, of course, and, and what's been done there, but take some cues from some of those other areas. See if you can find something that works there and is going to create the right balance between some serious but also some of the the light and the, the light that really Superman is, like you described so well, Dave. Did you see Shazam? I did not. I've not seen Shazam yet. Okay. No. Shazam is going to have a direct. Already does actually have a tie-in directly, not only with Black Adam but with Superman. Superman shows I've up. Heard, yeah. So spoiler alert: Superman does show up at the very last scene of Shazam. They weren't going to get Henry Cavill. It's basically you see him from the neck down, from the shield down. Um, then they filmed the sequel. It's been pushed. It's been pushed. It's supposed to be coming out this spring. So we'll see if it does. Edge of some. I forget. Some, I forget the subtitle. But they got somebody in a suit and they just blanked out the face. Well, if we can get Henry Cavill's permission, we'll get his face on there. Otherwise, we'll get some other random face. It's apparently going to be Henry Cavill, which is awesome. He didn't film it. They're just going to put his face on it. So he'll have another tie-in. To what extent, I don't know. Um, but that's fun. And Shazam was a popular movie. It, it, it was uh, advertised like it was going to be more of a comedy. But when you watch it, it's got comedic elements. But it was straight up, all, you know, legitimate, you know, I was going to say horror movie. And I, that's not the right <laughs> word. It's a legitimate superhero movie. That is not too far from the template that you want Superman to be. It worked for Shazam. It can be done. You just got too many people that are going to get their way. Talking to other people who have other ideas that are going to get their way. Guys, it some- has undermined Superman's character long enough. Like it goes back to the beginning. Can we not have this anymore? What you need is, and I'll, I'll give you an example. I've, I've given a little love to Kevin Smith, but let me give a little criticism to Kevin Smith here, who has had no official involvement in Superman. Let's just be clear. But he got hired to write what was going to be Superman Lives, and he was given all these directives that he didn't want to do. Well, this isn't Superman, but he went ahead and did it anyway because he wanted to write a Superman movie, even though it really wouldn't have been a Superman movie. Now, I, I get his position. I just want to write a Superman movie. What you were going to write was not going to be a Superman movie. That was the problem. He was, a, yeah, oh, sure, yeah, whatever, absolutely. You need somebody that's going to do the downer. Hell no, I'm not doing that. That's not a Superman movie. That's what you need. And somebody who isn't just going to fight the system, but has love and reverence for the character, understands the character, why he does what he does, and why he doesn't do what he doesn't do, and stick to that, and not be afraid to shoot down all the memos that come from producers and studio executives that don't know anything, but they want to flex their muscle. Thanks for the memo. That was great. No, you can go now. You know, and have the guts to do it. And if they fire me, they fire me. But I'm not going to be involved in making some abomination. Do the Donner. If it gets you fired after the fact, but your movie gets nominated for Academy Awards, that's good enough. That's what we need. That's what we don't have. And if we could get whatever, you call it the Feige solution, whatever that person is going to be, whether that's the director with clout, whether it's a producer that really knows, you need a Feige somebody that is not just, we're going to make this guy the Feige. No, no, it's not the what. It's the who and it's what they know and it's what they're willing to do. Yeah, we have seen that in in some respects in the Star Wars realm where you have people who understand the project, understand the either the character or understand an idea of what this is supposed to look like and are good with running it. We've seen it in the MCU. Yeah. We've seen it with people who, who get it there, who understand it. Look at the Batman. Look at all that went into that movie and an, un, an understanding of the Batman character as it was 
originally created and found an exceptional way to be able to make that come out in a new way with that movie. I think it takes somebody who's got a really good creative mind and a great understanding of the Superman character and who will be given the leeway to run with it. I'm saddened that I, I don't know how old I was when Superman 2 came out, which I would consider part of the peak of Superman. I was, it was 1980. So I would have been four, something like that, three or four. I'm depressed that I was three years old at the peak of Superman and, he, and the back end of the peak of Superman at that. But it was a great movie and I loved it because I was a kid and it was great, but it doesn't hold up today like it did then. I would love to have a really good, really good version of Superman come out that I can look forward to. Oh my, this is really going to be it though. And it delivers. I would love the avatar of Superman. To come out, and it is it, it makes the Dark Knight trilogy as much as I love that. Oh, Batman! Now you got to answer back. That I would love that. There's but I'm been not com- I'm not confident. There's just coming. been no proper revival to the character. There, there's been attempts, but no proper revival. Look at Batman. We got that revival with the Dark Knight trilogy, and now another one that's come along now with the Batman. Another great revival that's but come the, with it. But the best part about that second, the Batman, the movie, when the with the ah, who is the vampire boy? What the heck was his name? Robert Pattinson. Thank you. I'm sorry, vampire boy. Robert Pattinson. They were generally hands off when it came to that movie. The filmmakers were like, "We got this. We're okay." And Warner Brothers let them, for the most part, do their movie. They don't do that with anything in this DC universe, and that's right now where Superman lives, and that's the problem. And so, other revivals that we've seen—I mean, Spider-Man. Spider-Man has had a shorter window of time that it has been around, considerably shorter than Superman on the big screen. And yet we've already had a great revival there where you went through the Garfield, uh, you had the Garfield movies, which were a lull after the Maguire movies. And then you have this new one with the Holland movies that have been very, very good. And another revival there, the X-Men, they went through a revival too. Great start, first two movies. Third one did not go very well. Then you're kind of in the wilderness doing the Wolverine stuff for a little bit. Then you come back with first class they got a revival there. Well, like, what's the thing that's in common with all of those? When you talk about Spider-Man, where we're not going to get Sam Raimi back nor Maguire, all right, well, we're going to do this no matter what. We'll just reboot everything. And then the Amazing Spider-Man franchise didn't really go so well, did it? Now it gets tied into the MCU. You've got Feige, the, the actual Feige involved, and they've got people that know what they're doing, and now you've got a great revival. The X-Men movies, Brian Singer, Brett Ratner, it wasn't working really anymore. And by the way, Superman Returns is very similar in tone to the first 2000 X-Men movie, which I consider both a hit and a dribbler. Not great, but not bad. They're you know, okay. X2 was much better. Um, but then you get... Somebody who gets involved, you get from the Kingsman era, who had just done the kick-ass movies, Matthew Vaughn, who's got some very fresh ideas. He got a hold of the X-Men movies, taking an idea, well, we'll do these origin movies. Yeah, they're not going so well. Let's get everybody's origin. Let's set everybody back in the 60s. And what a great movie it was. You've got people that are that know the properties. They know the characters. They know what it needs to be in the end. And they also have enough power or enough guts to all these other memos coming in to push them off and say, I got this. You could stand off and fire me if it doesn't work, but this is going to work. Or you could send me walking. That is the commonality that gives these revivals the fuel that they need. Sometimes they run out of fuel and then you get Dark Phoenix. But at that point... I think it was just 20th Century Fox saying, we need to push this out before Disney buys us and get this thing out. But it's not ready. She launches. Man, 
I'm just reading this here. Matthew Vaughn was connected to the Man of Steel sequel when they were first talking about it back in 2017. I love Matthew Vaughn. Now Man. he's doing the Kingsman movies, and the newest one was a little off. Maybe that one's running out of gas, you want but... You want to hear what his plan was for how it was going to be with the original ideas? I'm curious. That were out there. He, had a, actually, he had pitched a trilogy previously. Here's what he said, quote, a massive, uplifting, hopeful thing. How about that? What a concept! What a concept! What did I tell you? He understands what Superman is. Superman is not Batman, so don't make Superman into Batman. It doesn't work because they're not the same. You need bright, you need bold, you need a beacon, you need somebody that you see and you want to be him. That's Superman. That's Supergirl. I mean, look at the Super the Supergirl uh, series that was just on CBS. That's what Superman should be on a big screen version. That was a great one, Melissa. I can never pronounce her name right, but not Benoit, but. Anyway, she did a great job as Supergirl. That's something akin to what Superman needs to be. They do that. They got this. But there's too many people that know better that need their memos to be followed to the letter, and even if they don't know what they're doing. This will happen at some point. But for right now, you need some of the cooks to be dismissed from the kitchen, get somebody (laughs) in charge that has reverence, and move forward. It will happen. I do have faith, but... um, I hope they get it done before the superhero bubble bursts, and I feel it. I hear a rumble on the horizon. Well, the, there's another rumble on the horizon, and it looks like it's going to be that sequel if it all comes together. I think it will. Plan, it's but. just I hope they don't – well, Cavill will be back in what? Stay tuned. I hope they actually have something in mind. I hope there's a plan with somebody that knows what they're doing rather than – there's such a difference between, oh, have I got an idea, and then they do it versus, well, we got to make this happen. And then they force another square peg into a round hole, and it just it's the same thing. Abandon ship if you don't have a plan. Just save everybody the time and trouble. Abandon ship and try it again when you have an idea. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater on Highway 2, just down from the airport. $5.50 movie nights on Tuesdays. They have got the $6 student night as well that goes on on Thursdays. That does extend to educators as well, so keep that in mind. I believe anybody that works at the school, the secretary can get Right. So college, high school, school. Don't forget, $5.50 Tuesdays for all the shows. They've got discounts on pop and drinks and all kinds of goodies. The bucket deal, I don't know if they'll renew that in 2023. I hope they will. You buy the $20 bucket and you get a cheap refill. I've got my bucket sitting in my kitchen. I do, too. You still pay for the one now, but now that there's not much left in December, it's, it's still probably a pretty good deal, but it's better if they renew it in 2023, but we'll see. Missy and the crew, they know what they're doing. That's right. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. We'll keep an eye out on what happens with the Man of Steel moving forward. Happy holidays, everybody. Hopefully we get a nice big bow on top of a new Superman movie. That'd be cool. Keep in mind, too, if we don't record before the end of the year, in 2023, we will open with a look ahead at what's coming up in the next few months. Which, funny enough, we'll have a swick, uh, some sort of cameo by Superman in the new Shazam movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. All right. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. And we will see you at the movies.